you never want to lose your mic in front of everybody like that. So we are off to a great start. Uh, my name is Hillary. I'm on the leadership uh, team. I'm yeah. I'm one of the leaders here at Hope, and uh, I'm excited to be continuing our compassion series. Uh, we're serious when we've been talking about how we want to view compassion holistically, uh, time, talent, and treasure, and that's why we're doing a compassion series in the midst of our compassion campaign. So if you feel uh, like you have heard the word compassion a million and one times, uh, it's because you have. Uh, and if there's a better word, we might swap it out. But here we are. So Craig started the uh, and started our compassion series. And the last two weeks, we've uh, heard what God requires about uh, from us in regards to compassion. And we've also heard about uh, the fact that compassion is first received and then it's shared. And today we're going to be looking at a text that is really well known. Uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's so well known at this point that really it's just a part of everyday language, right? We even have laws that are named after this. Uh, but I think it's also a really rich uh, theological discussion between Jesus and a uh, religious lawyer. So we're going to turn to Luke 10, and we're going to be looking and uh, looking at and reading from verses 25 to 37. So if you want to turn with me, you can. Luke 25, Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that we see you today. God, um, I pray that we don't miss you as we come to scripture. Be ashamed for us to walk away and miss Christ. So God, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to receive, 
uh, our eyes to see and hearts to receive uh, whatever it is that you have for us. God, for those of us who need to be encouraged, I pray that you would encourage us. For those of us who need um, to be corrected, I pray that you would correct us, convicted, that you would convict us. Um, but God, above all, would you meet with us and would you help us to see Christ and Christ, your compassion for us. Thank you, and we pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Um, so the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, we just read it. And one thing, you can call me a toddler, maybe you could call me a philosopher. It's a thin line between the two sometimes. Um, but what I have in common with them is I really love questions. Seems like this uh, legal, uh, religious uh, expert, this lawyer, also loves questions. And so I love that this text is full of them because I think that questions help us understand things and they help us connect meeting to the ordinary parts of our lives uh, and it makes them more meaningful. So I don't think there's anything wrong with the question, who's my neighbor? But just like anything, we have to ask our, consider our hearts and, and reflect a bit on what it is we're wanting when we have uh, that, that question or any question in particular. And what we can see with this religious expert is he wanted to justify himself. That's why he was asking the question, who is my neighbor? And so we're gonna ask of the text two questions today. One is, who is my neighbor? The other is, how do I be a good neighbor? Uh, and we're gonna consider what our hearts are in relation to those questions, um, but we're also gonna consider maybe what Christ thinks about those questions too. So with the first question, who is my neighbor? Um, if I'm honest, I think the, this lawyer's heart is really relatable. Um, I often want to ask a question because I want to pride myself on being clever or I want to divert the attention back to myself so that I can share something and brag about it. Um, I don't know if I'm alone in that. I think there's many of us who would feel this way. And that's why we ask questions. But I also think sometimes we ask questions because we want to create this like to-do list or these boundaries, like do this and don't do this and then just walk along that path. And boundaries aren't bad, but often I think we want boundaries for a variety of different reasons. One might be fear. Maybe we aren't really sure how to do something and we don't wanna mess it up and therefore we wanna be told exactly what to do so that we don't screw something up, whether that's practically or theologically, right? Another reason might be that boundaries and kind of a checklist, they give us a bare minimum. Uh, so just like the lawyer asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, that's a bare minimum, right? So it gives us a checklist on what we need to do to be a good person. And as long as we meet that checklist, then we can go back to our regularly scheduled programming of making ourselves comfortable or being in control of the situation, right? Uh, and again, like the lawyer, sometimes we want this, these boundaries, these to-do lists, because we don't just want the bare minimum, we actually want to outperform everybody else in the checklist. We, we have no intention, this is maybe where I fall in, we have no intention of just doing the bare minimum. We, like, more is more, and so we, try to justify ourselves by outperforming others as if we can turn this life into some sort of scorecard that we can win. 
What's interesting is that when the man asks, who is my neighbor, Jesus doesn't give a clear answer. Instead, he tells a story about how to be a good neighbor. And this is really classic Jesus, because on the one side, he's lifting up the marginalized and honoring them. And on the other side, he's pointing the conversation back to this man's heart. And so he tells this story, this parable, and for this lawyer and for Jewish listeners at the time, this is a very shocking and provocative story. That might not, it might not read to us as shocking and provocative, but the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated one another. They were enemies. And their relationship, the relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritans was not, uh, was pretty similar to maybe some other types of divisions that we have today, whether that be racial divisions, um, political divisions, we're so quick to call the other group the enemy there, whether that is uh, socioeconomic uh, divisions between people, or even just social divisions, right? We want to hang out with these people and not these people. Uh, and so it's really similar to that. Uh, but it was so uh, divided between these two that the Jewish people would actually take a longer route home just to avoid a Samaritan. Uh, and so this <laughs> comes at the point where we're, they're on the road together. And we can see that the lawyer is clearly humbled by this parable. Because when Jesus asks, who was the neighbor in the story? The man gives a roundabout answer. He doesn't even want to acknowledge and, and truly admit that it's a Samaritan, so he answers the one who gave mercy. What does this mean for us today? Jesus is merging this parable with the teaching of the greatest commandments. He's merging two, teachers, two teachings together that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we're to love our enemies. We can see this in Matthew 22 and Matthew 5, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. That's what the religious expert summarized. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He's merging these two teachings together. And uh, there's a theologian uh, named G.K. Chesterton, and as he taught on loving your neighbor, he says this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they're generally the same people. Our neighbors might not share our convictions, lifestyle, or worldview, but agreement is not a necessary prerequisite for love. And so it is for us. The Samaritan is traveling along his way and he stopped to help someone who had need. It didn't matter if it was his racial enemy. It didn't matter if it was somebody that he didn't theologically agree with. It didn't matter if he even liked the man. Uh, and it certainly didn't matter that if the roles were reversed, this man might not have helped the Samaritan. Agreement and even liking a person is not a prerequisite for our love. Agreement and liking a person is not what makes them our neighbor. 
The people around us don't earn our compassion by being worthy of being loved. Anyone can love somebody that they like or who is like them. But at the center of Christianity is a man who loved his enemy and died for them. Christ loved and he even prayed for the people who beat him and left him for dead. And he loved the robbers who beat this man. He loved the priest and the Levite who walked on by. He loved the Samaritan who cared. He loved this beaten man who's on the side of the road. He loved the religious expert that he's talking to. He loved the people asking the question and listening. He loved you and he loved me. Jesus loved his enemy and loves his enemy. And this is our present reality and hope that Christ loved us even when we didn't love him. So Christian in the room, Christ loves you even if you feel a little far from him and even if you don't feel worthy of his love, rest in that reality, in that hope. And non-Christian in the room, Christ loves you. He welcomes you. You are welcome here and you are safe. We are glad you're here. And for all of us, God has more for us in this parable than just understanding that everybody is our neighbor, right? If our enemies are our neighbor, how much more are the people we wouldn't describe that way? But I think God has more for us in this because ultimately I think he's using this parable to point to Christ. You see, Christ did for us eternally what the Samaritan did for this man temporally. Christ was beaten, stripped down, mocked, and not just left for dead, but brutally killed so that we might be found and healed and clothed and have life. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. And his love for us is the greatest act of compassion. It's the greatest display of love to a neighbor. One version of John 1, 14 says that uh, God put on human flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And I think that's really beautiful. He became our neighbor. Therefore, in light of all of this, that Jesus is the good Samaritan and took our place, we realize that the lawyer was actually fundamentally off in his first question that started this conversation. Just like compassion, like Craig shared last week, we don't do anything to inherit eternal life. We receive it. An inheritance by definition is something that we receive at the death of the previous holder. Jesus is the holder of eternal life. So we can't do anything for eternal life. We simply inherit it at his death. At Christ's death, we receive life. And this inherited compassion can powerfully change how and why we love our neighbor and how and why we become a good neighbor. 
And so we ask ourselves, in light of the present reality of God's compassion towards us, practically, how do we love our neighbor? How do we be a good neighbor? I love questions because we can stay pretty abstract, but it doesn't help us if we don't walk out learning how to practically live this out too. And so, like the Samaritan, we learn how to be a good neighbor by walking in the ways of Jesus. Jesus, whose compassion is costly and who subverts what the world says will give us life. What if loving your neighbor is the way to love yourself? What if loving your neighbor is the way we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, it's hard to hate people that you spend time around. It's hard to hate people that you spend time around and that you care about. It's hard to hate people that you pray for. Why? Because proximity and time help us to see somebody else as more human. It helps us see other people the way we see ourselves, as humans and flawed and with reasons for the struggles that we have. And so the closer that we live with other people, when we show compassion to them, when we live and care for others in a close-up way, their struggles become more, we, we have more compassion for them. And then we become more excited for their joys and their wins and their successes. It's not a distant person that we can reduce down to a statement about why they would be doing a certain thing. I wonder if this happened with Jesus too. That living closely with people grew his love. You see, of course, Jesus is fully man, but also fully God. And so as fully God, he was delighted to come to earth and to bring salvation to us. And we, we know that God has a heart for the marginalized. But I wonder if his living up close with sinners, with the poor, with the lowly, with the broken, if this actually grew love within him, and as this love grew, it actually produced the joy that was set before him when he went to the cross. I'm curious. As a human, he must have experienced a growth in his love. And we have the same power and opportunity to love people in a way that costs us, but yes, grows our love and produces joy. So as we love, we'll find that we have more love. And we have more love for the person that we're loving, more love for our enemies, but also more love for ourselves, more love for our world, and more love even for God. As the band comes up, I want us to consider that like the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, we're all traveling along a road, literally and figuratively. Literally, we travel on roads constantly. We all walked or drove on a road here today. We live in neighborhoods, we work in neighborhoods, we have neighborhoods that we regu regularly frequent. Um, consider the actual roads that you walk along right now. 
Who are the actual neighbors in your building? Who do you pass by on your commute, on your commute to and from work? Who do you sit next to on your couch at home? And this one's kind of spicy, but this week at Thanksgiving dinner, who might you need to show compassion to? These are all neighbors. These are all people for whom we can love and we can show compassion. And don't ever complicate it. At the end of the parable, Jesus says, go and do likewise to this lawyer. And so to us, go and do likewise. The Samaritan, um, we can even pull it back up, did a lot of really practical things. He gave medicine by bandaging his wounds um, and pouring oil and wine. I would argue that that uh, even was him potentially sharing his talent. He had an ability and uh, understood how to better uh, help heal. We see that he provided clothing. Maybe he knows, knows or had access to clothing. Again, um, talent and treasure. Certainly, he shared his treasure. The two denarii is worth about two months of expenses staying in a hotel. So that's costly. Think about putting somebody up in the residence in for two months. Uh, that way they have a place to live and be cared for. That's a lot of money. He certainly shared his time. We see the things that he did, but I'm sure there was conversation. I'm sure that he provided a meal maybe even shared his friendship. We know he's planning to return. Took a servant heart by allowing the man to go on his donkey. And so he's riding, or the man's riding and he's walking the donkey along. Don't overcomplicate it. Think about what you have to give in your time, your talent, and your treasure. But also figuratively, we're traveling along a road as well, not just literally. In this life, we are all walking home to our Heavenly Father. We are all just walking home to our Heavenly Father. Don't be that person who crosses the street to avoid someone so that you can get to the Father faster, stronger, or better. Traveling on this road is not about speed, if anything, it's about being aware of those that God has also put on our roads and extending compassion to them along the way. Friends, we don't choose the road that we walk on and we don't choose who else is on that road. But we do get to choose to humbly acknowledge that Christ has first showed us compassion on that road. received compassion on this road and this same compassion can help us to choose to love the neighbors on our left and on our right as we all journey home to the Father. Let us go and do likewise. perseverance on
left and on our right. And would you change our hearts to delight in showing compassion to our neighbors? Would you even place people on our heart right now to love, whether we know their names or not? Would you just open our minds to that right now?